This is the Bird Hugger Podcast with Katherine Greenleaf, the podcast for people who love birds. Welcome to the Bird Hugger Podcast. I'm Katherine Greenleaf, and I'm so glad to be with you. I'm on board for a full 30 minutes of talking all things birds and restoring native habitat. What happens when a burnt-out college professor living in New England decides to become a wildlife rescuer and rehabilitator? Find out on Bird Hugger, the podcast for people who love birds. Join host Katherine Greenleaf, who has been rehabilitating injured wildlife for 20 years, and hear how you can turn your backyard into a native oasis for birds. Well, here we are again, folks. It's Halloween time. This is our third Halloween special, and we've got some really creepy stuff for you this year. In this show, we'll be talking about the terrifying ordeal my husband and I experienced this past summer. We will also talk about a frightening bird with creepy yellow eyes and a haunting call. So I hope you're ready. Strap yourselves in and be brave. Here we go. And now for a Halloween tale sure to send shivers up your spine. I am talking about the Crom Du, a malevolent entity that has haunted the Irish countryside since ancient times. This hunchbacked creature with prominent ribs, long greasy hair, and dark sunken eyes sits on top of a black coach pulled by six horses. The phantom horses breathe fire from their nostrils, and the flames from the coach's wheels shower the ground in sparks. The coach carries an empty coffin. Crom Dew sits atop the coach at the crossroads at night, waiting for an unsuspecting traveler. This malicious entity removes its head and lifts it high in the air, using it as a beacon. The head is rotted flesh and has turned the color and consistency of cheese that has aged way past its prime. But the eyes are supernatural and lit like a bright fire, and they move left to right, relentlessly hunting for the next victim. The tale is told of a young carpenter traveling the woods towards home in the dark and late for supper. He stumbled upon the crom dew and stared with horror at the hideous sight. But once you look upon this supernatural being, also referred to as the Dark One, there is no going back. With a sinister grin, the crom dew hurled his long whip made of human spines into the air, snapping out both eyes of the carpenter. Now blind, the carpenter fell to the ground on his knees, putting his hands to his bleeding face. The coachman of the afterlife then called out his name, and the young carpenter dropped dead on the spot. People in the village nearby could hear the hideous, high-pitched whinnying of the demon horses as Crom Dew collected his prize, another harvested soul. According to legend, there is no avoiding Crom Dew. As he approaches your home, gates, locks, and door bars fly open, and within moments the creature is inside the house looking for human sacrifices. 
The crom dew is especially active in the fall and after dark. Villagers never look out their windows lest they attract the attention of the sinister soul catcher. The origin of curtains is attributed to the fear of crom dew by several historians. It is said the only way to protect yourself is by carrying gold. Crom dew was frightened by gold because of its purity. Villagers worked long hours so they could afford a gold coin to be carried in the pockets of each of their children. And many adults carried a gold coin in their pockets at night, even as they slept, as a talisman for protection. It is said that throwing a gold coin out your front door could frighten the six horses and cause them and Crom Dew to flee. So if you ever venture outdoors after dark, be sure to carry a gold coin in your pocket. And if you hear the menacing wheels of the coach of death approaching, you must remember to never, ever look upon Crom Dew. Keep your eyes averted, throw the gold coin into the road, and run for your life. And now for something truly scary. We're going to talk about microbursts. This severe weather event, which strikes quickly and often without any warning, seems to have a malevolence all of its own. While a microburst typically lasts only a couple of minutes, the destruction it causes can be monumental. There are approximately 10 microbursts reported for every tornado in the United States, and winds can quickly build up to 170 miles per hour, doing extensive damage to trees and homes. Today, we have meteorologist Maureen Hastings with us to explain how microbursts work and how to stay safe. Okay, and now I'd like to introduce Maureen Hastings. She's a lead meteorologist at the National Weather Service in Burlington, Vermont. Maureen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. There's a lot of, I think, mystery and confusion around what a microburst actually is. Could you explain to our listeners what a microburst is? Yes, absolutely. So what you need to get a microburst is a strong thunderstorm with a strong updraft. And that updraft has to be strong enough that it is going to hold all the precipitation, the rain, the hail, aloft up in that thunderstorm. It's going to hold the, the precipitation well off the ground. What happens is you can sometimes in the right conditions, you will get dry air that will get ingested or entrained into the middle part of that thunderstorm. And that dry air will cause cooling, which then weakens that updraft. So as the updraft gets weaker and weaker, eventually it gets to where it just can't hold all that precipitation aloft anymore. It's just not strong enough. And so when that happens, that pocket of rain and hail descends very quickly and hits the ground and spreads out One way to envision it is picture a water balloon full of water and you're holding it aloft with a really strong leaf blower. As soon as you turn that leaf blower off, that water balloon is going to hit the ground and it's just going to spread out like crazy. So that's exactly what a microburst is. And it does a lot of damage. Yes, they can do quite a bit of damage. Yes. I know trees can really get literally ripped right out of the ground. Yeah, it can snap trees, it can pull them out of the ground, it can do structural damage to buildings, you know, tear off roofs. Just like a a lower end tornado can do a lot of damage, microbursts can do the same. 
Now, what are the perfect conditions for a microburst? Does they have to be like the middle of the summer, the hottest part of the summer, or can they happen any time of the year? In general, the peak months for just thunderstorms is going to be in, in the summer. So those days when it's hot and humid, anytime you're going to you know, get a stronger thunderstorm. You know, to get a strong thunderstorm in general, you need instability. So you need conditions such that when a storm starts growing, you start getting that updraft, it's just going to keep getting stronger. You also need to have moisture. So you need to have a lot of moisture in the atmosphere so that that updraft can carry that moisture aloft that can then descend, you know, when that updraft weakens. And then you also need to have some strong winds. When that microburst starts to descend in the storm, if there's strong winds, it can carry those winds down to the surface and cause more damage. So those are kind of the, the things you need. For a microburst in particular, having some dry air at mid-levels in the atmosphere is also can also heighten the chances that you'll get a microburst. So we, that's something that we look for here at the Weather Service. Right. Now, how can you tell if one is going to strike? Are there any, like, warning signs? Unfortunately, there's no good way, you know, from the public's perspective or from ground eye perspective, necessarily tell that a storm is going to produce a downburst. Uh, you know, at the Weather Service, we can look a day or two in advance and see that we think the conditions are going to be favorable for strong storms and for, for microbursts. And, you know, generally we'll try to get some kind of word out to the public that we're concerned. A few hours before a thunderstorm like that may develop, if we're particularly concerned, we'll issue what's called a severe thunderstorm watch. And that just means that we have the ingredients that are necessary for a strong thunderstorm that might produce a microburst or damaging winds. And then once we see a storm forming on radar, you know, there are certain radar signatures that we as meteorologists recognize to say that a storm is going to be capable of producing a microburst or might be ready to produce some really strong winds. And so in that case, we would issue a severe thunderstorm warning. And we would mention, you know, the possibility of damaging winds. And a lot of times we'll mention, you know, whether we think it's going to be a 60 mile an hour wind gust or an 80 mile an hour wind gust, depending on the signatures we see on radar. But I said, unfortunately, from just ground level, there's not a lot you can do to really discern a severe thunderstorm from a regular thunderstorm. And that's why we always urge, just make sure if you're, especially if you have outdoor plans, you know, you're staying weather aware, be aware if, if either the weather service or, you know, your favorite TV or radio meteorologist, you know, whomever you get your weather from, if they're calling for strong storms to just stay aware. So I have to tell you what happened this past summer. My husband and I had rented a cabin uh, on a lake in the lakes region of New Hampshire. And I think it was the first week in August and, you know, it'd been really hot. And then we had a thunderstorm. And then all of a sudden, the sky turned like this sickly yellow color. I don't think I've ever seen it. The sky turned like yellow. And suddenly, like, I mean, within seconds, branches and leaves were flying past the front porch where we were standing. Thank God we were inside the porch horizontally <laughs> flying past us. You know, we were right on the lake. And then within 20 minutes, we saw trees floating down the lake like they were floating down a river. The lake itself looked like rapids. That's how fast the water was moving. And this was a lake. Everything was just being carried at high speed. Like I said, including tree, whole trees that had been ripped out of the ground. 
So we were just so grateful that we were indoors when it happened because we probably would have gotten hit with something. Yes, absolutely. I'm grateful too that you guys were, were sheltered and safe. That yellow color, more sometimes it's called green. Sometimes strong thunderstorms can kind of get that sickly hue. And that generally is from the light refracting through hailstones. So that's one cue that you can kind of look to see. If it, the sky starts to turn that sickly color, you know that storm is at least strong enough to have some large hailstones in it. So any strong thunderstorm is capable of producing at least some strong winds, if not damaging winds, or a microburst. So that is one cue you can look for that you, you might be dealing with a stronger thunderstorm rather than just your run-of-the-mill summertime thunderstorm. Now, can a microburst hop over water? Because we saw afterwards that one side of the lake had trees down and then directly across on the other side of the lake, there were trees down. It's like the microburst took a path straight across the water of the lake and landed on the other side on another road. They don't skip over water, but kind of like, you know, alluding to the water balloon example I used earlier, when it hits the ground, it spreads out in all directions. So it'll spread out and said, but because it's a microburst, it can be very localized area. So if a lot of that, the main part of the microburst is hitting over the water, it may only hit one side of the lake or the other and blow down trees on one side of the lake or the other. It can be very localized and occur in just a small but very dense area. Wow. So now tell me, are microbursts becoming more and more common? Are they a product of climate change? I don't know that microbursts are necessarily becoming more common. You know, microbursts were really only identified in the 1970s when scientists were trying to research some plane crashes that had occurred. And they were looking into what might have been the causes of that. And that's kind of when microbursts were really identified. So they really haven't been around all that long. So I think they're becoming more common as far as the general public, especially knowing what they are, hearing about them. I mean, everybody knows what a tornado is. But the term microburst for the first couple decades was likely only used in, in scientific or meteorological circles. But kind of like with the, with the other things, the social media and, and the internet, you know, people are just becoming more curious and educated. The term microburst is becoming more common even amongst the general population. So I think there's more awareness on what they are and that they exist. Now there is, you know, you, you mentioned climate change. Uh, we can't necessarily tie any one event or any one meteorological phenomena to climate change, but there is this general trend that shows extreme weather events are becoming more common in and of themselves. So we can speak to the trends, we can't speak to any one phenomena or any one event in particular. Now, is it your feeling that microbursts have always existed in some form? It's just that they weren't researched and identified until the 1970s? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, they've always existed. They just weren't really. I think it took, I think it was a couple of fairly big, I think, airliners, I think, that crashed. I want to say there was one in Dallas, I think, that had crashed. And so it took a couple of highly publicized events for scientists to really start delving into what was going on. And that's when, you know, microbursts really got discovered. So they've been always been around, um, just scientifically hadn't been identified yet. Will you find microbursts in all parts of the United States? 
Yes, yeah, anywhere that gets thunderstorms can get a microburst. They're more favorable in some areas than others, or in, you know, more so in some seasons than others. But yeah, anywhere that gets thunderstorms can get a microburst. Now, as a homeowner and a gardener, what could I do to protect my property from a microburst? Are there things I can do to maybe fend off a microburst? There's nothing really you can really do to fend off a microburst per se. It's an act of nature, so um, you're not going to stop it. If it's a strong microburst, it can take down trees. It can do damage to your home or to, you know, if you've got a garage or a shed. You know, there's, you know, maybe certain things you can do. You know, I know in areas that get hurricanes, and of course, hurricanes are much, can be much stronger than a microburst, but they have stronger building codes. So, you know, maybe make sure your home is up to building codes for the local area. You know, kind of what the Weather Service is more focused on with that kind of event is personal safety. So stay weather aware. When thunder roars, go indoors. Just, you know, be aware. And if you see a thunderstorm coming and especially if National Weather Service puts out a severe thunderstorm warning, there's a number of ways you can get that, including over your phone. Have a place you can take shelter. So know where to go if there's a strong thunderstorm or if there's a lot of gusty winds. A lot of times it's going to be the lowest part of your home. So if you have a basement, that's generally the best place. But if you just have a first floor, find an interior room with as few windows as possible. So a lot of times a closet, a hallway, a bathroom, an interior bathroom, those kinds of of rooms on the lowest floor of your home is generally the safest place to go in a severe thunderstorm. Now, let's say you're out in the woods, you know, like so many of our listeners are birders. They like to go to remote places to see birds to put on their life list. What would you recommend for someone who's a really far away from their car? So again, I would urge if your listeners are going to be out, know they're going to be out away from shelter. Look at the weather before you leave. You know, look what the forecast is going to be. So you can get it from the weather service. You can get it from your favorite TV or radio meteorologist. There's a lot of places online. Be knowledgeable. And if there's a chance of thunderstorms, take that seriously. And so, again, if you're out, just have an ear to the sky or an eye to the sky. You know, if you're back in the forest and in the trees and you can't see the sky, listen to see if you can hear thunder. You know, just you know, take time to be aware of your surroundings. And at the first hint of a dark sky or a rumble of thunder, start heading back to your car, start heading back to your shelter. Don't wait until it's right on top of you because, as you mentioned, it can go from fairly sunny skies and not too bad to very windy, very dangerous in just a couple of minutes. So you always want to strive to start heading for shelter at any sign of threatening weather. Right. Well, Maureen, I want to thank you so much for joining us. You explained a lot. I have to say, when I was a little girl growing up, I never heard that word microburst. And now I understand why. I was born in the 50s. (laughs) And of course, like you said, the research and identification didn't occur until the 70s. But like you said, it's a term that's being used a lot now. And you certainly explained how microbursts work. So thank you so much for helping us out today. We really appreciate it. You are very welcome. And thank you again so much for having me on. Have you ever heard of the ghost bird? The potu or ghost bird is a nocturnal bird most commonly found in Central and South American lowland rainforests. 
its bugged-out intense yellow eyes and its call, which has been likened to the sound of a ghost wailing in the jungle, has frightened more than one visitor south of the equator. But don't let that demonic-looking face fool you. The ghost bird is actually a somewhat friendly creature who just wants to be left alone. This shy and reclusive night stalker is roughly the size of a pigeon and is easily mistaken for an owl. But this bird is not a member of the owl family. It is a close relation of the nightjar family, which includes nighthawks and whippoorwills. It is also related to the frogmouth. The ghost bird does appear to have some supernatural abilities. For one, it can literally see with its eyes closed. Thanks to a stealthy slit in its eyelids, it can watch for predators while its eyes are shut. Also, despite the ultra-deep darkness of the rainforest, their extra-large retinas allow them to see their prey in the dead of night. Their menacing yellow eyes provoke a startle response in potential predators who are thoroughly spooked and flee as if they'd seen a ghost. This bird, with its variation of gray, black, and brown feathers, has the ideal camouflage and spends the daytime pretending to be a tree stump. When hunting at night, it sits in wait until it sees its prey and then it pounces. It opens its enormous gaping maw and scoops up dozens of moths in a single sweep. This bird will even swallow songbirds whole. The ghost bird is also not averse to eating small snakes and lizards. But this bird is best known for the unique call it makes throughout the night. The sound of a moaning growl like a ghost in search of the next life. Go to our show notes and access a link to hear the sad and creepy call of the Potu. Join Americans everywhere in the one-third for the birds movement. Dedicate the back third of your yard to birds and other wildlife. Make this area a quiet zone with no leaf blowers or lawnmowers. Plant native trees and shrubs so birds have plenty of insects to eat. Create a safe haven for birds to nest and raise their young. You will be rewarded with many hours of bird watching fun. For more information on one third for the birds, go to the Bird Hugger page on Facebook. If you are enjoying this show and like what we do, please help us out by subscribing or following us on your favorite app to access our free show. That way you'll get notified of what's coming, you'll never miss a show, and it will help us in the ratings. We hope you enjoyed our spooky show. Have fun on Halloween. But always beware of the ghouls and goblins and certain other entities that roam the night looking for a soul to steal. <laughs>